Welcome to the Climate Smart Farming Show podcast. This podcast is sponsored by my supporters on Patreon and by B Books, publisher of A Farmer's Guide to Climate Disruption, which is now available in print, ebook, and audiobook. B Books also publishes climate smart romance novels by Tara L. Roy. Learn more at bbooks.org. You'll also get free climate smart downloads, including tips for weathering drought and flood, and the Farm Emergency Preparedness Plan. When you subscribe to BeeBooks newsletter, sign up at beebooks.org, beebooks.org. I'm your host, author and multimedia artist, Rebecca L. Fraser, and I'm excited to share this episode of the Climate Smart Farming Show podcast with you. So let's dig into it. Part 5. Beyond Carbon There are big opportunities and challenges for sustainable food production within a change in climate. Climate change is connected to many parts of the food system that need to be considered in concert. Yield trends, water availability, water quality, habitat loss, diet, and waste. Each of these factors influences the impacts of climate change on the food system. Paul West, co-director and lead scientist at University of Minnesota's Global Landscapes Initiative. What role does agriculture play in exacerbating climate change? Agriculture is one of the biggest sectors contributing to total greenhouse gas emissions, currently about 20 to 25 percent of total global emissions. Nitrous oxide accounts for about 6 percent of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. The gas is naturally present in the atmosphere as part of the Earth's nitrogen cycle and has a variety of natural sources. However, the EPA reports human activities are increasing the amount of nitrous oxide in the atmosphere. Agricultural soil management is the largest source of nitrous oxide emissions in the United States, accounting for about 78% of total U.S. nitrous oxide emissions in 2018 which is the most recent data available from the Environmental Protection Agency. Nitrous oxide is also emitted during the breakdown of nitrogen in livestock manure and urine, which contributed to 5% of nitrous oxide emissions in 2013. Nitrous oxide emissions from agricultural soils were about 18% higher in 2013 than in 1990 and emissions were projected to increase by 5% between 2005 and 2020, driven largely by increases in emissions from agricultural activities. The total nitrous oxide emissions have increased by 3% from 2015, when they were at a high of 75%, to 2018, when they were reported to be 78%. Of course, you have the power to curb this. Agriculture has the chance to play a critical role in national strategies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. According to West, the agriculture community's opportunity is also its responsibility. Chapter 11. Farming's Role in the Nitrogen Cycle If you follow the nitrogen, you'll find the hot spots said Michigan State University's Distinguished Professor of Ecosystem Science, Phil Robertson. 
He was referring to the concentration of nitrous oxide emissions found near farms with fertilizer-intensive cropping and intensive animal production. The application of nitrogen fertilizer, whether as a synthetic input, manure, or organic leguminous cover crop, is so common in agriculture that many growers believe it is an absolute necessity. Some farmers disagree. Jack Kittredge, past president of the Massachusetts chapter of the Northeast Organic Farming Association, said bacteria sequester nitrogen from the air for plants to absorb, provided the soil is healthy. This process, called nitrogen fixing, has enabled agriculture for millennia. Kittredge shared, anyone who thinks synthetic nitrogen fertilizer is necessary is not dealing with healthy soil. It is the use of synthetic chemicals which has destroyed much of the biology in the soil. The result is lifeless soils that can no longer perform vital functions. The necessity of nitrogen fertilizer isn't just an esoteric debate. It's critical to sort out in our changing climate. While media widely reports the warming effects of carbon dioxide on the atmosphere, Few outlets mention that the impact of one pound of nitrous oxide on warming the atmosphere is almost 300 times that of one pound of carbon dioxide. Nitrous oxide molecules stay in the atmosphere for an average of 114 years before being removed by a sink or destroyed through chemical reactions. Further, the microbes that convert soil nitrogen to nitrous oxide don't much care where their nitrogen comes from, according to Robertson. He explained, so pound for pound, organic fertilizers like manure result in about as much nitrous oxide emission as synthetic nitrogen. The same appears to be true for the nitrogen in legumes. Although cover crops may prevent some nitrous oxide emissions in the fall through spring period by capturing soil nitrate, that would otherwise be emitted as nitrous oxide. Experimental work on this point is scant, Robertson noted. He said, the basic general fact is that the more inorganic nitrogen there is in the soil, the more nitrous oxide will be emitted. Changing soil management practices can lower nitrogen emissions. Adopting management practices that foster soil health can help to keep nitrous oxide out of the atmosphere. In her report, The Living Soil, Bacteria, for USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, Elaine R. Ingham described one aspect of the science behind healthy soil. Mutualist bacteria form partnerships with plants. The most well-known of these are the nitrogen-fixing bacteria. Some of these species are important to nitrogen cycling and degradation of pollutants. Bacteria alter the soil environment such that it will favor certain plant communities over others. Before plants can become established on rocks and other geological surfaces, the bacterial community must establish, starting with photosynthetic bacteria. These fix atmospheric nitrogen and carbon produce organic matter, and immobilize enough nitrogen and other nutrients to initiate nitrogen cycling processes in the young soil. Then, early successional plant species can grow. As the plant community is established, different types of organic matter enter the soil and change the type of food available to bacteria. 
In turn, the altered bacterial community changes soil structure and the environment for plants. Removing nitrous oxide from the atmosphere is a double-edged sword. The gas is naturally removed from the atmosphere mainly by chemical reactions in the stratosphere, but that also depletes stratospheric ozone, contributing to the infamous ozone hole over polar regions. While carbon dioxide is removed by photosynthesis and chemical reactions in the ocean, Robertson explained, the better strategy for reducing nitrous oxide is to avoid excess emissions altogether rather than try to remove what's there. Multiple studies have revealed nitrogen applied in fertilizers and manures is not always used efficiently by crops. Typically, only half of the nitrogen fertilizer applied is actually taken up by the crop during that growing season, according to a Michigan State University Extension fact sheet. Improving efficiency can reduce emissions of nitrous oxide generated by soil microbes largely from surplus nitrogen. You can reduce nitrous oxide emissions from your farm while maintaining yields and crop quality by using the four R's for better nitrogen fertilizer management. One, right rate. That means applying no more than the crop can use. Two, right time. That means applying as close to when the plant needs it as possible. Three, right place means applying as close to plant roots as possible. And four, right formulation means applying forms of fertilizer that are most likely to stay in the soil rather than gasify. Fertilizer added in drip irrigation systems results in far fewer nitrous oxide emissions than fertilizer that is added indiscriminately. Robertson said, Conveniently, management that leads to avoided nitrous oxide emissions also leads to fewer losses of nitrate and other forms of reactive nitrogen. That means there are co-benefits to better managing nitrogen, including economic savings when less fertilizer is used more precisely. Likewise, cover crops provide co-benefits by building soil carbon and reducing erosion. No-till can do this as well. Chapter 12, New Tech in Nitrous Oxide Sampling. Carbon emissions get a lot of airtime in the media, but increasingly there's a consensus understanding that nitrous oxide is the most important greenhouse gas for agriculture to address. At North Carolina State University, one group of researchers is focusing on nitrous oxide in part because emissions data coming from the southeastern United States is very different from data coming out of other parts of the country. Researchers have been able to recognize this difference in recent years thanks to a new management system designed by Professor Wayne Robarge, a soil scientist at NCSU's College of Agriculture and Life Science. What happens for us is we're emitting almost none, and then we get a big rainstorm that really soaks the soil profile and we'll have a brief burst of nitrous oxide emissions that's pretty big and then dies off after a couple days, said Chris Reberg-Horton, associate professor and organic cropping specialist at NCSU. He continued, identifying that it's episodic and figuring out how to measure that has been a really big deal. We've spent a lot of effort on that, 
Now we have a system that monitors 24 hours a day. Folks in other places have been taking like weekly measurements of nitrous oxide. We have a system that watches the storms come through and monitors the nitrous oxide with each storm. Now we're ready to go back and redo some of our comparisons. Reberg Horton said the data raises the possibility that nitrous oxide emissions in organic agriculture and conventional agriculture are driven by different things. The timing of when the greenhouse gas comes out of the organic system and conventional system is different enough that Reberg Horton, Robarge, and their colleague, Shuijin Hu, are wondering if one system is better than the other in this regard. We don't have enough info yet to determine that, said Reberg Horton. In conventional farming, nitrous oxide emissions are driven by big pre-planting fertilizer bursts. At NCSU's experiment station in Goldsboro, researchers apply 75 pounds of nitrogen before planting corn, and Reberg Horton said that's the application that's most vulnerable to losing nitrous oxide. They also apply 75 pounds of nitrogen as side dressing, which tends to stay put. He said, we think it has to do with the water. When we put it out pre-plant, you've got this tiny little plant and it's also the cooler part of the spring, so the soil can stay wet and that's when we see nitrous oxide emissions. Later in the season, when we side dress, the plants are already big and it's hard to keep the ground saturated. The big plants suck up the water so fast that we just don't see as much nitrous oxide coming out of it. The results are most dramatic in crops that require more nitrogen fertilizer, specifically corn. Organics look a little different, and Reberg Horton said this is because organic farming systems don't allow large applications of nitrogen at any one time. We have a hypothesis, but we don't have the data to support it yet, said Reberg Horton. We're still working on the data. In conventional systems, we have so much excess nitrogen available that in the southeast, what regulates it is how much carbon is in the soil. The limiting factor is how much carbon is in the soil. In organic systems, the limiting factor is the amount of free nitrogen. The way each system fundamentally regulates how much nitrous oxide is emitted is different. It still leads to this question, which is frustrating. Which system emits more and less as you go all the year round? Or, even better yet, which system emits more when you go all the way through the three-year rotations of corn and soy and wheat? Getting to theory. To reach the point where Reberg Horton, Robarge, and their colleagues could even develop their hypothesis required a mindset shift. First, they realized they had to adjust how nitrogen emissions are typically measured. In the old-school method of sampling nitrogen emissions from soil, one uses hand syringes to pull samples from chambers laid on top of the soil. This method of research typically occurs weekly or during or soon following a rainstorm. Reberg Horton said, The when-to-sample issue was done much more cavalierly. The new method is much more precise. He continued, What we have is a trailer set up in the field, plugged into a power pole that we installed out there. We've got vacuum pumps connected to these long hoses that go out into different parts of the field. Those vacuum hoses are pulling air from different chambers scattered through the field. 
The most essential part is the soil needs to be in the open, rained on and exposed to sun and everything else like normal soil. But then we need to periodically take gas sampling off that. To do so, the NCSU researchers use several robotic arms, each with a lid. The researchers drive something into the soil that each lid can sit on. Every 30 minutes, one or more of the robotic arms places its lid on the surface of a chamber, pulls gas for a few minutes, feeds the data into the field trailer where the researchers can analyze it, and then removes the lid from the soil, exposing the soil to natural conditions again. Having multiple sampling stations in the field enables the researchers to take a gas sampling from one or more places in the field all the time. They rotate which chamber in the field is feeding data into the trailer. Soil scientist Wayne Robarge developed a technique and the machinery required to connect this continuous sampling method with the old-fashioned chamber sampling method. Reberg Horton continued, for agricultural research, we really need to do things repeatedly. We need to have replication. We use Robarge's machine that's running all the time to tell us, hey, there's a big gas event happening right now. It's time to sample. As soon as the gas event is over, we don't sample anymore. So it's the machine informing us when are the key times to sample that has been the big breakthrough. As a result, Robarge, Reberg, Horton, and their team now know not only exactly when to sample, but also how to plug the data into the larger set of information. He said, if there's an event, like a two-day event that happens, if we go in and do just a couple of hand samples, we know where those samples fit in the entire pulse of events, so we can interpret the data differently. As yet, researchers have not figured out how to apply the data but Reberg Horton anticipates it may lead to an alteration in fertilizer formulations. We haven't studied that yet, he said, but anything that reduces the amount of free nitrogen being released all at once, in theory, will help. The ideal would be that we could somehow alter our system management to help prevent nitrous oxide emissions, and we don't have good advice on that yet. There's some very early evidence that there are other chemical compounds that are not used right now in the fertilizer industry that might inhibit nitrous oxide emissions. That would be promising. Thanks for listening to the Climate Smart Farming Show podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like my book, A Farmer's Guide to Climate Disruption, now available in ebook, print, and audiobook. To support this podcast and my other creative endeavors for as little as $1 a month, please visit patreon.com forward slash Rebecca L. Fraser. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.